Hi, I'm Gary David. And I'm Adam Gamwell. Welcome to Experience by Design, the podcast where we explore experience designs of all kinds. This might be a really obvious statement, but different kinds of environments require different kinds of designs. We don't design every place the same way, nor should we. Thinking about my kids, for instance, they, as they got older, their tastes and interests change. And as a result, they requested that their room decor change. One of my daughters is, seems like, you know, I, I love her to death, but it really does seem like she is always seeking to level up her room shrag. She's always online looking for design ideas to reflect who she is as a person and probably who she aspires to be as a person. And even though it gets kind of annoying, I do try to remember that we can all identify with this part of adolescence. We can all remember the posters, the black lights, the hanging beads, the lava lamps, maybe even for some of you out there, an iron butterfly silk wall hanging. If you go mm. back far enough that you uh, put up while you played your eight track. So regardless of what kind of environment we're talking about, we need to think about what would be the best design for that environment. What would be the best way to encapsulate what that space means and how we want it to be experienced? A classroom is going to be different from a doctor's office. A law office is probably going to be different from a lingerie store, a movie I so. theater. I, I would hope so too. It depends on the kind of law lawyer you are, what kind of law <laughs> you're practicing. And a movie theater is going to be different from a mortuary, although some of the movies I've seen are real snoozers and uh, definitely put me into a deep catatonic state. Bam. Exactly. Burn, Hollywood, burn. How then might we design interior environments to support the experiences we are trying to create and encourage for those who are in them? I think that is such an important question. And to help us figure this out today in the Experience by Design Studio, we are excited to welcome Carolyn Bolt. And Carolyn has over 40 years of experience designing interiors for commercial industries, tons of different kinds of places and buildings. And she's also the co-founder of Crossfields, which is an interior design and architecture firm. Now, one area in particular that she works in are chiropractic offices. So if you've ever had your back cracked or, you know, laid down one of those tables or tried one of those foot vibration, uh, I don't know, things you stand on that help shake your body or supplements, you know, you, you know what we're talking about. But there are these interesting medicinal spaces uh, that have both contemporary and alternative medicines. And we'll be talking with Carolyn about how she approaches her work in general and how designing chiropractic offices provides this unique kind of challenge and opportunities, you know, for the types of, of spaces that we're, we're building here. So she describes how she tries to help her clients attract their ideal customers through the spaces that she creates. And so, you know, right on having the right decor and space and pathways to move through uh, makes a huge difference. Now, we're also going to be talking about her online course that she teaches that's on design and how to create the proper environments for best experiences. So both she's looking at interior spaces in physical areas as well as digital. And there are three to 6,000 decisions that have to be made in order for an office to appear open, to get, to get put together. So there's a ton that has to go into making this happen. And her course helps folks manage that process. This is a really great conversation. And 
we moved again from how do we decorate a Barbie playhouse to doctor's offices and how the space stations led to career designing interiors and how if you're not designing intentionally, you're doing it wrong. So with that, without further ado, let's dive on into the conversation with Carolyn Bolt. So, um, yeah, we were just we were just talking about, you know, office design. I think it's it's interesting because office design is something that affects everybody. And I don't know that we often think about it, except for when it's bad. If it's a good <laughs> office design. It's like, oh, yeah, I like, you know, it's good. We might say I like where I work. But if it's a bad design, then we might go specifically to the way the office is designed. And I recently underwent an office redesign and they didn't give us enough shelves. And it was very, very upsetting that they didn't give us enough shelves or filing cabinets. And there was a oh large, there was a, a little bit of a revolt that uh, <laughs> we, we demand, literally we, the academics demanded more shelves for our books. I love it. Oh. Yeah. And files, that's something that you don't even <clears throat> have a lot of people having anymore is files, but I know academia mm. does. Yeah. Especially. Well, especially. Well, as I was say, that's the thing, right? About if you don't, if you're not familiar with the spaces for which or for whom you're designing, design can go pretty bad pretty quickly. If you're just like, oh, who, who uses paper anymore? Uh, academics. Who have, you know, who has physical books anymore? Academics. And so I know your work in working with healthcare, healthcare practitioners, especially holistic healthcare practitioners, what is it about that space that requires a, a certain focus and a specific touch that became your area of interest versus other kinds of healthcare office spaces? The, my big focus on it was to help to elevate it and make it more, I don't want to say the word accessible to hmm. the patient, but more appealing to the patient, more um, if you think about the alternative healthcare industry, holistic alternative healthcare, it has grown. And I actually think that COVID actually helped it where people started taking more responsibility for their health. But it's always been a choice. It's not been a, you know, hey, I'm sick, I have to be at a doctor's office. It's been more of a um I guess a lot of it has been, I'm sick and the doctor's not helping me. What else can I do? So it becomes more of a choice or it becomes, I don't want to be sick. I want to be in a wellness space. So the spaces are very focused on wellness and being a choice for that patient, for that uh, ideal patient to be there. Is that so? So tell us a little bit about to uh, kind of add us some, some background kind of texture okay. there. So when you're setting up Crossfields, um, you and your husband set this up, right? And so tell us a bit about that story of how that happened. And then um, I want to come back to this, this question of how we make spaces more accessible. So let, let's, I want to fill in that, that, that gap piece. Okay. That'd be um, great. Yeah. So Crossfields, um, it's, I'm the co-founder with my husband. We found it in 2004 together. Um, before that, I had been doing independent design and um, I'm an interior architect and he's a general contractor. And we started together and we started doing design build and our biggest client became Life University, which is the mm. chiropractic college here in, I'm in the Atlanta area. And at that time, Life University was um, in between presidents and they were not in a very good place. And I was actually, my background is large 
corporate facilities and, uh, you know, I'm all of that type of duplication, et cetera. And so how do we reduce space? How do we improve the space? And the big thing was, is this, the facility had become shambles. So here they were trying to grow and it was not representative of what they were trying to promote at all. So any if you understand anything about commercial interior design, it is a business decision to do. It's part of your marketing. It's part of mm. who you how you represent yourself to your potential clients, your potential prospects, whatever they are. And as we were talking a little bit earlier about your employees and mm. attracting employees. So your environment. There's a psychology of that environment, and that psychology can either work for you or against you. And what was happening at life is it was working against them. It was really bad. Hmm. So it was about improving, but that got us immersed in the business of chiropractic. We began to really understand how chiropractors um, think, how they struggle, what they're up against. And um, at the same time, we were already holistic chiropractic patients. And so we already believed in the philosophy of it. And it's the two things kind of came together and said, how can we help this industry grow by elevating their image, by mm -hmm. elevating how and so that people will have more respect for them. So that was the that was how we did this. So that was 2000. It started by teaching a class just for fun to the students on the impact your office space will make on your success. And then it grew into helping started chiropractors and then it just evolved into holistic health. And it's mm. always been virtual because we knew there were not going to be enough clients in the Atlanta area to sustain us small businesses like that. So we had to create a virtual. Um, so now we're global. So that's, that's how this started. Yeah. Wow. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 thanks for filling to, for, for adding that in there, because I think that there's, there, I mean, there's a ton, ton of really interesting pieces there that, that we can think <laughs> with. Um, and so, um, I, as a basic thing, so like the idea of, of commercial architecture, and we're trying to get a sense here as we're putting an experience together uh, for folks, I think something you said that was really interesting. I think that, uh, would caught my attention. I think it would catch our listeners attention too, is like how that can shape your psychology of what you, what you experience about the, the business itself. Um, and so that's, I think really interesting that that is linked to chiropractic and holistic health too, as, as uh, arenas that we, you know, I, if I think about, I'm going to uh, an acupuncture session or something, or, or going to get a massage, like I think about a particular ambiance in a, in a building, right? Like what the waiting room is like, what the, the actual room itself is like. Um, uh, my parents also love chiropractors um, and chiropractic. I mean, they, they took me as a kid for, for you know, I, I enjoy a good, good back crack too, you know. Um, <laughs> but even thinking about how we, how we put those spaces together, I think is really interesting, you know. And, and so um, I'm curious, uh, as, as people begin to think about that, you know, are there some principles that we might have in mind? Like what, what are some areas that might define, you know, the psychology of a space if we're thinking about chiropractors and or holistic health that, that has come to emerge from the work that you're doing? So I think that the uh, the big point is that when a, somebody walks into a space, let's just talk a second about retail. Mm. Okay, you walk into a retail store, and you're going in there to ideally to make a purchase, and you have in mind what you're going to purchase, and that environment is kind of the package to that whole product that you're going to be purchasing. Do you follow me? 
Mm-hmm. So if you walk into it and the package is dilapidated and deteriorated and out of date and you're not going to have a lot of respect for the product that you're going to be buying in there. Or you're going to think I'm going to get a deal because I'm in a garage sale or something <laughs> of that. Do you follow what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. your your psychology is formed or your your expectations are formed by the visual representation of the space around you. So the the goal is, is that in retail, they don't even think about not using interior architects to, mm. to design their space because they understand that that is going to create the psychology that they either want to help them or, or not. Same thing with hospitality design. So mm. hospitality, think about a restaurant or a hotel. Think about, hey, I want to go out to dinner tonight. Yes, you think about the food, but you also think about that ambience mm. and what do you want? And so if you want a romantic dinner, there's a certain ambience. If you want a fun kid field dinner, there's a certain ambience and that has to match up with it. So that's what commercial design is all about. And that needs to be brought into business. And mm. that needs to be brought in specifically to businesses, healthcare that have that people make a choice for them to be there or not. One of my, this reminds me of a few projects that I've had grad students do in my ethnography for experience design class, one of which was last semester, a student did a project on, ended up being a project on dive bars, right? So bars that are not polished, that, you know, that are local kind of hangouts, haunts, establishments. And we spent a bunch of time, what are the elements that one would expect to be in a dive bar to make it a dive bar? And it was really interesting to get her to focus in on, on that thing, right? About what are the features? And Adam, you know, when we were in um, Austin, we went to the White Horse, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, this is like a dive bar. It had yes. like, you know, Schlitz mirrors on, on the too, wall right? from like yeah. 1978, you know, or, you know, it just did not look kept, but you would expect it to be that way. Going back to Carolyn, you said, if I expect uh, a certain retail establishment to be, high level and it's run down, that's a problem. If I go into a dive bar and it's high level and not run down, that's a problem. So it's both setting expectations, but meeting expectations. And how do you know what the expectations are? How do you set the expectations that you want people to have when going in so that you can create a connection between expectation and experience? Was that a question? Yeah, it's just it's a kind of a question, but it's also kind of, I mean, because you're talking about wellness spaces and you're talking about chiropractors, how do you know what people are expecting? Are they expecting, you know, um, pardon the expression, hippy dippy, astrological kind of incense burning things? Are they expecting it to be more medical because chiropractor, chiropractors want to be, re- you know, respected as medical professionals? Right. If you go right. too far, what might be alternative? Does that degrade their own professional sense of self? I mean, so there's a lot of things to balance in this equation you're laying out. So, so where you start is who you want to attract. Mm. And then you design accordingly. So those dive bars attract a certain atmosphere, a certain person, a certain um, clientele. They attract them, right? The yeah. ones that go there over and over and over again, the ones that want to be there. And I don't know a whole lot about dive bars, so I'm not going to go there and start to talk about what. Who that Adam will tell you. Adam, Adam, Adam is a bit of a connoisseur. Resident expert, yes. Of, of sorts on dive bars. Exactly. I am from, I am from Texas, so. Yeah, well, I'm from Texas too. There you oh, go. Cool. 
There right you on. go. Yeah. Fellow Texans. All right. Went to UT. As okay, another, yeah. as well, I, I mean, Austin, back. Austin's the best part of Texas. I'm from Houston and I went to school in Fort Worth. So I went around Austin, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I love Austin. Though. You love Austin. So I'm from Houston. Yeah. Oh, we'll have to talk about that later. So there we cool. go. But saying that the, um, you know, you, you, we start with your ideal client. You start with your ideal and that's the way every commercial space should be. If you have a brick and mortar or if you're an office building, what are you trying to create your image to be? You know, if you're a business, um, like a office space business, what are you trying to create? Everything about your environment needs to match up with your mission and who you are and what you're trying to present, present so that you attract the right, um, employees. But if you're trying to attract actual paying customers to your brick and mortar, that space is what's going to be designed based on who it is you're trying to attract. It actually really quickly reminds me of another project a student did. Might have been this last semester. It's hard to keep track now of thrifting stores. So if you think about Mm. thrifting establishments, you think about, you know, you know, who, who's going to these places, right? Is it people going who can't afford to go to other places? Is it kids looking for, you know, who like to go thrifting? Or is it, is it people, you know, older people like our age or my age who might be just like, it's a sport. They're looking for like the deal. And mm-hmm. this one student went to three very distinctly different places and looked at the des- interior design of all all of them to kind of compare between what it's what it establishes in terms of identity and who and whether it's even intentional or is it just kind of thrown together or did anybody have a plan in in mind in terms of how it looks inside? I would love to know the result of that study. That would be fascinating. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is interesting because it, it's, I don't go thrifting. My kids sometimes do. Um, and it's, you know, one of the things that was, I, one time I did go just to kind of give a layout of a design, design idea. This one young lady was there, probably a teenager, and she was holding up a phone and holding up a, a, a shirt and showing her friend on the phone what the shirt was. So I'm like, wow, it would make a lot of sense to have cell phone holders <laughs> somewhere. So that kids don't have to go through this thing of holding the phone and holding the shirt to show their friends, should I get this or not? Because so much of the shopping experience that would appear for them is collaboratively, even though it's distance because they're not there at the same time together. It's it's virtual. Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. But if we just played with that, um, and I'd, I'd love to know the difference in the thrift stores, but uh, when we when I teach these classes, no criticism for either for Walmart, but right. when you go in Walmart... That is very, very specifically designed for mm. you to know that you're in the low price leader. Right. The lighting, the surfaces, the way the shelving is, the advertisements everywhere, the fact that, you know, most of the time you don't have a lot of service there. You don't have a lot of people to ask. You're going to be digging through things. You're getting a deal. You, it's a, it has a thrift store mentality, not quite as much as you know, a pure thrift store would be where you're digging through stacks and stacks of things to see what you can find, as opposed to going to, let's talk about a high-end, um, a high-end dress store where you'll have one rack with one dress on it and you just, yeah. size. you know, it's a whole mm. different presentation and you're not expecting to get a deal. You're expecting to get a style. You're expecting to get a look. And um, it's just, it's, that's all intentional. It's intentional. If it's not intentional, then somebody's got the wrong thing. Because if you go into a high-end dress store and it looks like Walmart, they're not going to 
they're not you're not going to want to buy pay the pay the money for it, right? Do you, do you find that uh, kind of across your portfolio of work, is there a balance between uh, clients that are that have an intention in mind that they know that they want they know the kind of outcome they want they have their target audience versus ones that have no idea? Like it seems it sounds like Life University was kind of this mix of we want X image, but we're our setup is Y. We need to get there. You know, do you find is that is that common? I guess I'm, I'm curious about that idea versus someone comes in and says, "Yo, I have a vision. This is what I think we need to do." How do I get there? So, so where we start, I mean, our goal with all our clients is to end with your space does attract your ideal client. Okay. Mm-hmm. So where we start is we start with who's your ideal client. Then we also talk about their vision of who they want to represent them, how they want to be represented. And mm-hmm. a lot of those a lot of times it's just emotional words. Like I want to be seen as professional. I want to be seen as wise. I want to be seen as, um, you know, cutting edge is a word we hear a lot. And so you start to take those emotional words and then those emotional words can be interpreted into pictures. So we have our, our clients actually pull together image boards, just like a vision board mm. of sorts of things that represent those type of ideas. And then as the designer, our job is to kind of meld all that together to help create it for them. So our hope would be that on our portfolio, we don't have anyone that the space is not intentionally designed for their client because that was what our goal is. But yes, Mm. that is, that's the mission. That's the message that I want to get out there is be intentional. Don't Mm. just haphazardly design it without thinking about how that space is going to because, you know, as a as a doctor, most doctors don't have an understanding like an interior designer does that space impacts your behavior. But mm. it does. It, there's a psychology. There's a psychology of color, lighting, style, mm. all of those things that, that give you that impression. Yeah, I think I think that's that's that, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. You sure? Um, I think that, that's like a really interesting point, too, that... In the case of, of doctors, for example, like they may not have the, the, I don't know if it's design aesthetic, you know, perspective, but just like, you know, especially if I'm coming to work at a hospital, right? I don't, I don't often have, if I'm a doctor, I don't necessarily have the, the choice of what wallpaper I get, you know, or chairs, some, some might, I suppose, you know, but that's an interesting question in terms of um, the opportunity that people have when they're able to design their space, you know, how much more they can kind of control and set the, that psychology, you know, for the target audience. And it's interesting to think about the difficulty of that, especially in a healthcare setting when you have no control over that, right? Yes, um, yes, uh, yes. Is my cat's visiting us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, uh, and, and most, and the majority of our clients, um, you know, do have, I mean, they do have control over their space. But you hmm. were mentioned in Life University, it was the new president that came on Mm. It started to set the image that he wanted the university to have. And um, some of it was pretty easy. It just needed to be cleaned up. Mm. But some of it was, you know, more purposeful, like some of the some of the ideas and philosophies that they wanted to bring in collaborative education stuff. And you guys Mm. are in the academia, you know, you understand what I'm talking about. So when you start to bring in those ideas, um, the design of the space will either support it or Mm-hmm. deter from it right yeah I've, I've always wondered why if i'm at a dentist's office i can hear the drill that someone else is having i'm like i don't want to hear the drill why am i hearing the drill i mean you know it's like simple things like that because most people when they go to the dentist is and i did some 
interviews of dentists for a for a client and a consulting project I was doing. And they don't teach, you know, office spaces at dental school. They don't teach waiting rooms at dental school. They teach dentistry at dental school, you know, and, and so it's like, why are you exposing me to the thing that most people are anxious, most anxious about when going to the dentist, when I'm waiting, why, you know, is there a way of soundproofing? <laughs> is there a way of setting up so that that sound, you know, you have the drill people in the back and the other people in the front, I mean, something. And I'm sure yes. Aspen Dental has people who are hired to deal with this, but it was, it's just always like this very basic thing of, if I go to a doctor, I don't want to hear people screaming. <laughs> I don't want to hear someone using a bone saw. You know, I, I don't want to hear somebody drilling. It's just not, I just want, you know, and I also don't necessarily want to watch the news on the TV. So like even to the choice of what kind of music you're playing, do you have a TV? What's on the TV? Whether it's, you know, one cable news network or another cable news network that creates a brand, whether you know it or not. It, it does. It very much so. It does. It creates the whole setting for what you're all about. And most of the most of the doctors that have a TV have some type of support programming going on for holistic health and things like very, very intentional about what they're putting on there. Some kind of educational. Oh, interesting. Yeah, as opposed to just having the news. Because um, once again, most alternative doctors, if not all alternative doctors, are a choice for people to make. I mean, I know people can choose their regular doctor, you know, regular medical doctors also, but um, it's not the this traditional medical model doesn't need to appeal to people making a choice quite the same way that alternative does, if you follow what I'm saying. So oh, that's why it's mm-hmm. so much more to me, it's so much more important. Although we were talking a little bit about hospitals is, you know, I've been a, in design a long time. So the evolution of the hospital is right. pretty amazing. And, um, you know, I, I get healthcare design magazines and it's just seeing these, oh. the newer hospitals and how they're like very hospitality very hospitality, like a lobby of a fine mm. hotel now, instead okay. of a, instead of what you think about in your your newer hospitals. If you look into those, so it is that whole mentality of because people starting to have there's so many more hospitals, they're starting to have choices over hospitals. So right. whenever you start having choices and competition, how do you show up above your competition? One of the questions I have, and it's kind of like a self-interested one, because I have a 13-year-old daughter who has professed interest in becoming an interior designer. So at what point, yeah, like we were walking through Lowe's and she was like, oh, we could do this and we could have that and look at this over here. And what you know, she's all about seeing, which is ironic because her room is extraordinarily messy. I guess it's kind of like physicians are the least healthy people. You can be an interior designer and um, still have a messy room. Maybe she'll grow out of it. But at what point did you decide that or what was your evolution of going from young and, as, you know, I want to be a police person or a fire person or whatever, or a sociologist and deciding you want to be an interior architect or interior designer? Wow. I love t- talking about this story. So um, one of the first signs that I wanted to be, and, and I, when I've mentored and talked to other people that are interested. So if your daughter wants to talk to me, I'd love. Oh to yeah, for sure. 
Absolutely. But one of the first signs that when you play Barbies, do you care more about their house and their house setup mm. than you do about the Barbie? Huh. That's one of the very first signs that most interior designers can go back to and, and remember that they think about that. They think about space and they think about like you're talking about walking through and seeing. So there's this natural interest in it because even though you're trained to be an interior designer, you have to come with the gifting to be an interior designer because it mm. is an artistic gifting. And so it's that artisticness and things that that's showing up. As far as why I decided specifically, I was 14. My father was um, worked for NASA in Houston. And this was in the 60s. And yes, I'm old. And so he was working on advanced preliminary design of the zero gravity earth orbiting space station wow. in the 60s. So this was 20 years before the space station. And they had a um, architect come in to specifically work on the interior design of a zero gravity earth orbiting space station. And so this architect came in, he was working on his thesis and he came in and um, stayed in Houston for a period of time. So while he was there, he would come over to our house. My dad would invite him over to have a home cooked meal and they would sit around in the living room and philosophize about space. And specifically this architect about how that's where I started to understand the psychology of space and environments and small environments and large environments and, and textures and colors and all of those things and how the psychology exists. And that's when I said, I want to do this for a living. I want to help impact. I want to use my giftings and I want to impact people. And so then when I got into school at the University of Texas, I decided to do commercial because I was much more inclined to business and I could see it being a business, <clears throat> helping businesses grow as opposed to um, just supporting the residential. That was not my, the husband and wife team were not my thing. I tried that a little bit. That was not, <laughs> not <Yeah>. it. <laughs> but, well, I hope that person you referenced wrote a book called Space and Space because it seems like that would be a great title. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> we're talking <laughs> about space in space. You yeah. know what? I, I have to, it's that, that's, that goes down another. I did recently figure out where he was and I uh, hmm. knew his name and stuff. I have, I have a copy of his thesis and um, cool. yeah. And I've reached out. He wasn't, he went into teaching. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. But he's retired and I haven't quite connected, but that was just a couple of months ago. So I'm still hopeful. I'll connect with him and see. I just want to mention like one other like really quick thing before I have that Adam asked something. You know, it's interesting you talk about the International Space Station because I have an Oculus um, VR headset. I think Adam does as well. Mm -hmm. And there is a VR experience in the Oculus of being on an International Space Station, right? So you're like, you know, emerged in virtual reality of what that's like. And you, you think about the design. I often do think about the design of that space because it, it is so confined. And everything needs to be in just the right spot to function from an engineering standpoint, but it also has to be livable because people also have to live in it. So this trade-off between what the engineers want to do and what folks who are designed, I can imagine those conversations with your father and this gentleman must have been just fascinating comparisons between these different perspectives mm. of design and philosophies about design. Yes, yes, because you're exactly right. I mean, gratefully... NASA understood that they couldn't send people up there with just engineers designing it. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they understood that. 
<laughs> people people live too in, in other ways, right? Yeah, very um, much so. It's funny because as as a social scientist and an anthropologist, um, I it it took me a while into my adult life to appreciate like the the well thoughtfulness of engineers and a lot of my friends are engineers now and so it's like um, but it's funny to like the, the different processes where like anthropology sociologists we kind of come at things much more messy we're like hey what, what's what's the the cultural behavioral situation in a, in a space you know how do people use the space or engineers are like on the other side saying how do i optimize the square inches that i have here for this tool um and then good luck using it you know, or like it's it's in the best it's in the best spot though. You know, so it's like it, it is this interesting always interplay to think about. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Being in design school, you know, a huge part of design school is studying the history of art and architecture, mm. and which is totally connected to the culture that's going on at the time. One hundred percent connected and driven by, you know, what's happening with that culture and what's happening with the, you know the king of the era and all kinds of stuff, you know, to, to drive that. So it's, mm. it's what drives what it's an interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's a, chicken, it's a chicken and egg, egg scenario, I suppose. Chicken right? and yeah. egg <laughs> scenario. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I wonder if, like if we um, like to jump us back to the, the kind of chiropractor holistic space, like I'd love to bring some of these thoughts that we've been having here in, into that space. Um, because I mean, one, I'm also wondering, uh, how many job openings out there are for space station interior designer? There's got to be at least one, if not more, right? <laughs> at least one. At least one. <laughs> space shuttle designer, right? Um, but thinking about this idea, like some of the the uh, adjectives you talked about before in terms of like what, when you're asking who's your target client, how do you want to be represented? What do you want to be seen as? You know, a couple of things professional, I don't know how many seen as wise, seen as cutting edge. You know, I think these are these are. Uh, there may there may just be examples, but I think they're interesting to think about what are the qualities that you see kind of in the alternative and, and holistic uh, health spaces in terms of representation. Because agreed, like to, to kind of come back to your other point of like when people have a different level of choice, um, you know, your your design matters all the more, right? Of how do we mm -hmm. attract the right kind of an ideal client um, to engender trust, to engender the desire to to have a good time there, right? Um, and I remember this too, just saying that like uh, as a kid. Uh, the chiropractor that we would go to was, was, you know, just some random office. We grew up in, in the woodlands in north of, north of Houston. Uh, okay. And, and, you know, it was just like these, you know, kind of random old office. But then like the chiropractor that they go to now is, uh, you know, I would say looks cutting edge, right? Like in terms of how the setup, the space is like, it's totally different from it was uh, in the eighties. And, and so I'm just thinking about this idea, like as we contemplate the kinds of uh, adjectives or, or ways that we see clients talking about for, for alternative healing spaces like what does that what does that look like you know just cutting edge uh does that mean having new kinds of gadgets and, and goodies does it mean like is is it the art on the walls right is it like how do we think about that space of like i'm curious to think of to, to like what's what's attractive now to making that kind of space stand out as unique as trustworthy as exciting as 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 cutting edge so um so some of the things like the word cutting edge we would actually go deeper mm. for them to explain to us how do you want to show up cutting edge? Because professional cutting edge, um, quality, things of that can become a little generic. Yeah. And there's, you know, a certain genericness to the design. All design needs to be, it needs to be clean, orderly, some of that stuff. But to go a little bit deeper into more specific, you know, let's just say it's cutting edge because you've got a lot of different unique pieces of equipment. Okay. Mm. 
and you're using all this equipment. So, and the equipment may be very high tech and stuff. So your space could support that by having a little bit more of a high tech feel to it. Do you follow me? Maybe a mm-hmm. little bit industrial, a little bit, a little bit um, contemporary, shiny stuff. Mm-hmm. That could be a way you could do it. Let's say you've got a practice that's very much focused on uh, neuropathy. Okay. That's a mm-hmm. practice, you know, neuropathy and, and the elderly and the diabetics and things like that. You want that space to appeal to more it's still cutting edge, but it's going to be comfortable. It's going to be mm. someplace that you want that patient that they're going to want to be there and hang out because they got to be there for a while. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of adjectives and deep questions that we ask before everything's anything's designed. Another, another thing we're talking about is that, you know, some uh, holistic doctors, specifically chiropractors, they'll have a specialty, like there'll be sports. Mm-hmm. So when their clients come in, they may have just been working out. Do you know what I'm saying? So that whole mentality of of who feels comfortable in that space would be someone that has just worked out and feels comfortable going there without Mm -hmm. having to go home and get all dressed up and be in a business suit, if you follow what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a difficult chiropractor to go have to go in a business suit. <laughs> if, it's a, if it's an elastic suit. Yeah, maybe I, you know. I, was, I was being extreme, but you got <laughs> totally, it. Totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I think that's, that's, I mean, that's a really interesting thought too, to, to kind of get this idea um, of both who, who uh, offices want to attract and like then what, how the space can help facilitate that. Um, and then like kind of on the other side of it too, you know, this may be more in the, the business suites, but I'm curious, like also, do you, does like when we're thinking about the design and setting that up, like, are we thinking about, you know, client retention KPIs and things like that in terms of like, how do we, how do we ensure that the design is right for our goals? Um, I've not thought about that in relationship to architecture in terms of like, is that a discussion that you all have with them or is, or is that like a biz dev conversation that, that comes later? Well, I really, really wish that it, it, we do talk about it, but it's very hard because it's very psychological hmm. actually nail it number it's not a very numerical if you follow what i'm saying because it's it's qualitative right yeah so much more so it's very much i mean we do see you know a 10 to 20 percent increase in most of our clients when they remodel their space they move into a new space and some of that also is because they increase their capacity they increase Mm. their efficiency because it's not just aesthetics it's also got to be so we adhere to form follows function you've heard that one Mm. Yeah. So we, we don't, we see that as form and function are connected. They don't, you can't just focus on the function of a space, then come back and make it pretty. You got to think of it cohesively and, and holistically together, but function has got to lead. And if it doesn't function well, it's going to cost the money. It's going to cost energy. It's going to cost time. Um, hmm. and that inefficiencies, frustrations, things like that. So some of that is hard to measure. Um, some of it's not, you know, square footage to square footage and what you get out of it can be measured, but the, hmm. the emotional pieces is, is hard. Yeah. I was but just, um, but it's real. You know, it's, I just made me think, and I have a friend who's a car. I've actually seen a couple of chiropractors. One of my friends is a chiropractor and I just went to their websites and I wanted to see, do they show off their interior hmm. spaces on their websites? And the answer was no. 
they don't. I mean, it's interesting, right? That you're talking about how important it is. And I you know, firmly believe that it is important as a differentiator. But most of the websites, I would guess, just with my quick sample of you, focus more on the personnel and the services and not as much on the interior spaces. And so I guess, the, you know, one thing is once people get there, do they feel comfortable? And the other part you were talking about is using that design as a differentiator to pull them in because there's a lot of chiropractic services. And so which one am I going to go to? It's probably largely word of mouth. I guess people end up going to a chiropractor, finding somebody, but how do they make the work that you do visible to the outside world before you, before people even show up? Most of the ones that we've done design for have are featuring their offices on their websites. Interesting. But I, and I'll say this with all due respect, we started this, um, what, 11, 12 years ago. And one of the activities we have our doctors do, which I talked about earlier, was that we have them gather together inspiration pictures that start to represent in their mind what these words that they're describing would say. And then we use that to process through their image. And I used to tell them, don't go Google chiropractic offices because you're not going to find any good looking ones. They're horrible. Right. They're horrible. In fact, when we decided to start doing this, um, my design friends go, why? Chiropractors are like, they have the ugliest offices. They're, you know, they're poverty and all that stuff. And that's exactly why we need to do it. Do you know, mm -hmm. we needed to elevate it. Now you can Google chiropractic offices and you will find good looking ones. And a lot of them are ours, but a lot of them are not. So we've seen that change and that shift. The same thing happened in dentistry. You mentioned dentistry yeah. earlier. Mm. Dentistry, you know, 40 years ago was not the dentistry we see today. No. You know, and and it's because of competition. It's because of competition and there's more competition. So you're going to go. So, yes, if you have the opportunity to walk in two or three different dentist offices side by side and they're all real close together. Yes, it's going to be referral. Yes, it's going to be that. But if you get a great referral and you walk into the office and it's horrible looking, you might not want to stay. Do you know? Same thing with chiropractors. Same thing with holistic, you know, acupuncturist and massage. Massage right. is a great one. You know, you can have mm -hmm. a great massage therapist in, in a crummy, ugly little space and you will pay them the minimum amount for that massage. Mm -hmm. You can take that same therapist and put them in a high-end Hyatt Regency or a Ritz-Carlton, and you're going to pay three times the money, the same mm. massage therapist, because of the experience that they're going through all the way right. around. As you were talking about art school and now we're taking art and architecture classes and cult, you know, art and architecture reflecting culture, mm -hmm. I got interested in you saying the difference between promoting health versus or sickness versus wellness, right? That's idea. If you go to a doctor's office, not that it promotes sickness, but it's an uh, environment to cure versus an environment to prevent, right? I mean, if you wanted to think about those two separations that people usually go to a doctor when something's wrong, people go to holistic or alternative to prevent things from going wrong. And so how do we then try to shift our culture from more of a treatment mindset to a prevention mindset and how do we then design that into as you you, know, you talk about educational videos for instance how do we design that into the experience not just to provide a service 
but to create a change in behavior. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Very much so. It's, it's, I believe in my lifetime, I've seen it shift. I've seen wellness and the choice for wellness. Um, and people understanding that you can't band-aid everything. You've got to go mm. to get to the root cause. So most alternative healthcare pro- professionals focus on let me get to the root cause. Let me not band-aid the symptoms. Let me get to the root cause. So we need both. I mean, we need, you know, we, we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Um, we need the, you know, United States has the most amazing problem, you know, when people are acutely acute problems there. It's amazing, amazing what Mm. the healthcare system is, but it's those chronic conditions that just keep getting band-aided that the wellness practitioners can really help with. So I think that more people are seeing that now. And I think it is through just word of mouth and education, but a big part of the alternative healthcare practice is that they are having to educate their patients. So their whole process of going through evaluation and communication they actually call it report of findings it it is an education process as opposed to you go to the a medical doctor you get a a blood test and they give you they give you Mm. some prescription to take they're coming back with hey this is what we've come out and this is the process that we're going to go through and it's usually a process it's not a quick fix so that's why they have to sell it because you have to get the person to buy into this is going to take a little bit of time and some of my effort to do it. Right. So with that education continues and it's word of mouth and people get results, that's that's where you really get it. People get results, then that's going to be a natural cultural word of mouth. Hmm. Makes me think too, even, um, you know, I was, I was perusing your website before too, and just getting a sense of the, the kinds of education that you also do with clients, right? And, and you know, things like the right lighting, the right kind of flow when you're putting your space together. And how do I move through that? And like, this is an interesting piece too, because, you know, as designers, we'll, we'll do things also like journey maps, right? Whether it's, whether it's moving through a piece of software or, or a physical space too. Um, and it's interesting to, to think about that. And also things like ease of access, speed of service, you know, these, these things that matter for customer service um, that are going to make the the customer and patient experience also, right? Like how these matter, Um in the space itself, but then also for, for employees, I'll, you know, and there's even like kind of, there's some bubble diagrams that you show. I'll put a link in the show notes for this. Um, of like, <laughs> it matters to like both um, design that in thinking about new patients, returning patients and staff. And it's something Gary and I find often in our consulting work too, is that somehow the employee is always the last thought about, right? It's like, because right. you, your customers are your business, right? Like that, that's where that's the revenue comes from. But really it's like, you know, uh, this interesting question of like keeping in mind our employees because they're actually how the business runs, right? Uh, and so I'm curious uh, how, how to think about this or how we can when it, kind of encourage a thought you might have for, for folks in the interior design space or also just when they're working in, in spaces. How do we keep both in mind, both the customer, the patient, and the the employee? Um, again, because we see we see the employee kind of get dropped off sometimes in terms of like business planning, which is curious. Um, I don't know if you if you see that or like, but also again in terms of raising the uh, perception prestige of, of, you know, holistic health too. Um, do we see staff being treated particularly well? I, mean, I hope so, you know, but you're right. You see, if, if it's a crummy building, you might pay a massage therapist, the same person less, you know? Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm kind of curious in, in that like spectrum, how you how you kind of see the employee experience play out also. Well, that's a, that's a great question because one of the things that I know specifically in the chiropractic world, um, I, 
And also actually in the physio, most worlds, you know, there's this emergence of what we call business coaches. Okay. Right. Business coach emergence, which when I got out of school, that didn't really exist, but it has evolved and it's become more and more common. And one of the things that they tend to spend a lot of time focused on is this efficiency and effectiveness and the employees and getting the A team and all of that. So what a lot of our communication and education with our clients has not had to be in that area. They're coming to us wanting good flow, wanting efficiency, because they understand that that's going to impact their staff and their staff will be happier. And they'll understand that that it will impact their bottom line because their staff is not having to take as many steps and they're not as worn out. And they're, they can actually see a lot more patients more efficiently and more effectively if those things, those systems are running well. So usually they come to us with their philosophy of how they want that to work. And we're not having to educate them on that as much. We're educating them on, yeah, but your office needs to have a look also. So <laughs> we'll take their philosophy and make sure that's what you see, all those little bubbles. We'll make sure that mm. that works. And we'll go through the process of if someone comes to us with a new space, we'll go through massive amounts of space planning mm. because it's like, Let's just play with this thing. Let's just see how many different ways we can put these boxes together to create the most efficient space possible and walk through each one of them. There's no perfect, but let's find the best that we can mm. find because it's so much cheaper to do it on paper than it is to wish you had done it. <laughs> sounds like so my true. sounds right? like my daughter playing playing on The Sims. Yeah, you know, you go back to like yeah. the Barbie house. Like she doesn't have a Barbie house; she has The Sims. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And so she can sit there and she spends all this time on the Sims messing around with the interior design. I mean, she spends more time cleaning the Sims world than her own room, which again, I, I editorialize, <laughs> but it, it, it does become an issue where it's like all that time you spend getting that place to look right. What about this place? But she does have great design ideas. And it's interesting how construction companies, or you said your husband's a general contractor, and how design people are using technology like the Sims or AR or VR to envision. Yes. What a space will look like before making a decision. I was at um, Suffolk Construction once, um, which is a major construction company here in Boston. And when they were building one of the casinos, they were showing me how they were working with their client to look at different patterns of curtains and different kinds of carpet or different kinds of wall coverings in the guest rooms using VR to say, okay, what, you know, almost AB testing this or that. This one better, that one better. What do you think? How's the layout? And then they're doing the same thing with the church. Same thing. Yeah. Let's walk, literally virtually walk through it to see yes. how it feels. Yes, yes. So really large design firms will have people on staff just to help set up the whole virtual walkthroughs, the renderings and the things that that's work for their large clients. And that's pretty fascinating. We, we don't do that per se, but we use a program um, called Revit which actually builds everything in a model. And so we'll walk our clients through, it's black and white, but we can walk our clients through the design process and feel the space, go through it, do 3Ds, basically. We don't spend, our clients- not the Sims. Not the Sims, (laughs) but similar. Yeah, Yeah. similar, yeah, yeah. I mean, similar. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's that is interesting what you said. So yeah, she's probably inclined to have her call me. Definitely, I will have her. I will definitely have her call you. And it is interesting because there are, and I play video games. Adam plays video games. There are a sizable number of video games today where people can customize their interiors. And it's interesting to see if you watch Twitch or some of these other streaming platforms, the extent to which people spend significant amounts of time not playing the game, but customizing the environment. And I don't know if that's going back to a cultural shift where people are more in tuned to this kind of, and the guys as well as women, they're more in tune to this element of our daily, you know, lives and how that's shifting culture to, you know, we talk about feng shui, everyone was about that, but it's like the customization of environment and virtual spaces bleeding over to people being more attentive to it in physical spaces. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Hmm. I mean, it, it seems too that there is just like much more of crossover happening, you know, across disciplines and across domains. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's, I suppose, a hallmark of the interesting times that we're living in too, because of whether it is, you know, video technology or like Revit, you can then, you know, map out a space pretty easily, uh, comparatively to actually building it. Right. Um, and, and then, but also still like handwritten bubble diagrams are also useful. Right. So it just depends on what it is that you're, you're aiming for, but, uh, it is, it is kind of cool to see how the, we, the, the pieces can kind of connect in, in other ways. And so even in that regard too, I mean, maybe as, as one kind of last area, just to, to touch on is the the kind of coursework that you started doing too, right? In terms of also doing education with clients and, and also beyond. So uh, I'm curious to kind of hear a little bit about this process and the and the uh, the boot camp that you that you just set up too. In, in terms of you know getting more people on board. So how how are you thinking about education in this space? And tell us a bit about the about about the boot camp. Oh well, I'd love to tell you about the boot camp because the boot camp actually was an idea before we started designing spaces. Oh, so cool. yeah, we started. Um, so in 2010, Life University asked us if we would teach a weekend business class uh, for like, and we put together six hours worth of material and we just loved my, and it was my husband and I both, but we had built maybe four individual chiropractic offices, never with the intention that it was going to be our business, mm. um, but they were a friend and then a friend of a friend and that type of thing. And what we realized is the biggest education that we could give them was what we're talking about here, that your space matters. Hmm. Don't ignore it. Be intentional about it. But the other part of it was just understanding the process of opening an office from a facility standpoint. So a lot of people were teaching business plans and practice management coaches and stuff, business plans, operation plans, management plans, marketing plans, things of that sort. They would even talk about laying out the flow of your office but no one was paying attention to that, what that process looked like to get through. So, um, the clients that we were working with, the individual clients that we were working with had this unrealistic expectation of what it was going to take to go through the design process, through the construction process and get open, specifically timeline. Mm. Um, but we, we, you know, we've looked at it. There's three to 6,000 decisions that have to be made to go through the process of opening an office. And it's just like creating any kind of event. You need to understand the proper sequence to go through it to be efficient so that you're, you know what I'm saying? So you understand this impacts that. I have to make this decision by that time for that to happen here and for us to keep moving. So um, so we took 
the construction process and we simplified it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we taught. So the boot camp really focuses on that process and then how design flows within that whole process. Mm-hmm. The goal, the goal actually is to support that mostly a startup or someone that has more time than they have money. And um, yeah. can't necessarily hire a designer to help them coach them all the way through. Because we do a lot of coaching through the process. Mm. So it's kind of the coaching, teaching of that, of what we do. Right on. Well, that sounds great, too. Because, I mean, I think that, that is a really important point, especially for folks that are just getting started, right? You, you're going to have more time than money, usually. Yes. Uh, and so, like, having the the operationalization being taught is, is I think one of the most fundamental pieces, right? Cause it's always like methods are the hardest thing to get through. Right. I've got a dream. How do I make that a reality? I have no idea. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah and, it, a, you know, and they're, the goal is for them to be an educated consumer. We don't, we don't mm-hmm. want to teach them design. They're, you know, they're not going to yeah. do that for a living and you're only going to do it once every seven to 10 years anyway, but you just need mm-hmm. to be educated enough that you're going to make the right decisions. Real quick, last question. I'm just kind of curious. When you're at like a party or something and someone says, what do you do for a living? You tell them what you do. Do they start asking you to like answer all their questions? You know, oh, you're an interior designer. I, I need you to come to my house. Or do your friends ask <laughs> you to help them with their interior design? I can imagine that. Uh, or, or are they worried that you're judging them? Because you are an interior designer and they're like, oh, we can't, we can't invite Carolyn over. We can't invite the bolts over because they're just going to judge us on our poor interior design. <laughs> I'm going to say yes to all of those things have happened over my lifetime. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I've had people, yeah, um, we'll go to their house for dinner or something and it comes up what I do and they'll immediately start apologizing for their house. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. seriously, you know, or, or asking advice, a lot, a lot of advice. Yeah. A lot of, and it's hard because it's such a natural thing to, you know, an interior designer sees things differently. You know, you just kind of see things through this lens of improvement all the time. You know, you can just, let me just tell you what I think, you know, and, and we would never give advice with, without being asked though. So then I wasn't going to say anything, but now that you mention criticism. it, your house <laughs> is just uh, this room, man. It's, I don't even, you know what? Just leave it. Cause it's just, it would just take too much. Just yeah. knock it down. You know, it's like one of those, I'm sure your husband would, would, would say sometimes it's just easier to knock down than to redo. It, it is. It is. <laughs> I will say that too. The other thing that, that gets me off the hook a lot of times is, oh, I don't do residential design. So, uh, oh, cause nice. it is a little bit of a different animal. It's a different products and it's different stuff. So, so, um, that gets me away. Not so safety valve. That's a great out. That's a really good one. It's like, I, I, that's, not, that's, that's not my kind of medicine. I don't do that. Or it's not my kind of design. I don't do that kind of design. Yeah. I can give them advice, but when they ask me for bigger help than that, it, you know, even if they want to pay me, I'm like, no, <laughs> you can't pay me enough to do residential design. <laughs> well, Carolyn, thanks so much for taking this. is fascinating. There's so many more things to ask. So and fun. Yeah. God, it's so, so interesting and such amazing. Really, thank you for your time. I appreciate you both. 
Once again, we'd like to thank Carolyn Bolt, co-founder of Crossfield's interior design firm and the creator of Office Design Bootcamp for visiting the Experience by Design Studios. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. You know, in what ways is your office environment designed to facilitate work or to prohibit it? You know, how would you like to see offices be created from a customer experience perspective in the future? And most importantly, what does your bedroom look like when you were a teenager? Mm. You can shoot us a message at feedback at experiencexdesign.com or hop in the conversation on our LinkedIn page. We really would love to know. Did you have a lava lamp and did you have beads hanging from either a door or a window? I didn't have either of those things, but I think mm. I did have a Tom Petty silk wall hanging, which I that, think that's, is still that's fair. pretty legit. I think it's still pretty legit. And a lot that of counts. mirrors. And as always, thanks so much for listening to Experience by Design. We are always pleased to have you on this journey with us, bringing you all these wonderful guests and everything that they're working on as we continue to explore this area called Experience Design. And as always, if you're an experienced design company or experienced designer or adjacent professional, by all means, feel free to reach out to us at feedback at experiencexdesign.com. Pitch your show idea, give us some feedback, tell us what you like or what you'd like to hear more of. And we will, as always, try to comply with your request to make this program as customer and listener centric as possible. And if you have any other ideas or any other thoughts, you can always do that at our email or as well on our LinkedIn page. And with that, we hope everybody has a great week and we will see you next time we are here on Experience by Design.